Well, at the end of our time together this morning, we are going to be celebrating communion. And so if you did not receive a set of communion elements when you came in, and if you would like a set, um, please just hold your hand up high for a moment. And a member of our host team, just keep those hands up for a moment. A member of our host team will be happy to bring those to you. Now, um, chances are one of the things that you have probably noticed um, is that it seems like more and more people in our world, and specifically more and more Americans, are in fact walking away from God and they are walking away from religion. Um, and the reason they're walking away from God, the reason they're walking away from religion isn't um, because all of a sudden, you know, atheism has somehow become more attractive. It's just that um, to them, um, somehow religion has become seemingly much less attractive. In fact, more and more people in our culture, especially Americans, um, would say, you know, the problem with culture is, in fact, religion itself. And so, therefore, the solution is to actually deconstruct. It is to dismantle, right? It is to tear down all religious values and all religious beliefs. Now, Barna Research has actually studied this phenomenon and this trend rather extensively. And in 2019, um, they, this, these are the most recent statistics they have, 2019, um, they actually said, um, and they've documented that almost two-thirds, right, 64% of people between the ages of 18 and 30 who were previously involved in church as children, right, so that's what we're talking about, 64%, 18 to 30, grew up in church, previously involved in church as children, as of 2019, they have walked away and they have dropped out of church, which means that chances are um, you know. I mean, perhaps maybe you yourself are someone who has walked away from or deconstructed or deconverted uh, from Christianity. In fact, so many people have done this, right? This, is, this phenomenon is so, um, so expansive, especially in our country, um, that this group of people who have walked away and kind of deconstructed their faith uh, have actually been given their own term, their own label, um, and they're referred to the, as the nuns, which sounds kind of strange, but really it's just an abbreviation for not affiliated or um, not applicable. 23% of the U.S. population overall, 35% of every American between the ages of 25 and 40 um, would say that we're just not affiliated. We don't have any affiliation to any religion. It's not some new philosophical idea. Um, we have just decided that we, we, we are just not interested. Um, we, we are not interested in what, um, in how or who the God that we were presented to as children. We have no interest in that anymore. It's not that we find atheism all that attractive. It's just that we find religion extraordinarily unattractive. Now, obviously, I, I cannot um, speak uh, on behalf of all religions everywhere, and I would never, you know, pretend to be able to do so. Um, but as for, um, as for the, the migration away from Christianity, as for the migration um, the, away from Christianity, which in our country alone is literally millions and millions and millions of people who basically grew up in church over the last 20 years, hearing everything that I heard, knowing all the stories, knowing their way all throughout the Bible, the nuns, uh, the nuns who have migrated away from Christianity, I can pretty much say this with confidence, that is the church's fault. And that is um, people like me who do what I do, it is, it is our fault. 
And see, the reason I say that is because when you read the four accounts that we have of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, and you actually read these accounts, here's what's absolutely unmissable. You find this from beginning to end, that people who were nothing like Jesus, they actually liked Jesus, right, the person of Jesus, not just the miracle worker, right, not just the teacher who, who taught things that still shapes and influences and impacts our world. The, the person of Jesus, there was something about the person of Jesus that was attractive. People who were nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus, and Jesus actually liked them back. Which means that if the church is supposed to be the body of Jesus, right, and so if on one hand um, Christianity is this thing that is somehow so easy to walk away from, and yet at the very same time um, Jesus, right, is so undeniably irresistible, then clearly, right, clearly something is not the way it is supposed to be. And the place where those two truths overlap and intersect is the reason why we are doing this series. Because in the tremendous number of stories that I've heard in my personal 30 years of ministry, the number of stories I've heard of people who are walking away, people who have deconstructed their faith, and specifically who have, who have walked away from Jesus or walked away from, from church, what, what is always amazing to me is that in the stories of deconstruction that I've heard, I, I have never actually heard any story that has to do with people leaving their faith because of Jesus. And that truth, that reality, that breaks my heart. And I feel like I've heard at this point like every story that's imaginable. Now, I, I know obviously I haven't. But so many times when I hear these stories, these heartbreaking stories um, about people who are migrating away from God and migrating away from faith and migrating away from Jesus, oftentimes what I'm thinking to myself is, listen, I don't, I don't believe in that God either. Like, that's not even what, what, you're, what, what you think right now, what you're saying right now, that's not even true. Right? The followers of Jesus in the first century, they, they never embraced. They never embraced the ideas um, and the thoughts that are so incredibly offensive or hurtful to you. I mean, in fact, you should. You, in fact, you should. You should walk away. You should deconstruct. You should dismantle all of those kinds of ideas and, and beliefs. And so if you happen to be someone who is deconstructing, right, if you happen to be someone who is deconstructing what other people have told you about God, right, then, then that's fine. In fact, the truth is I think all of us um, should do that. Just be sure to reconstruct what it is that it means and what you believe about what it means to actually follow Jesus. And do not simply stop at deconstruction. And the reason why that's so important, what we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about together today, the reason why that is so incredibly important is because of actually something all of us would say is true, right? Because you cannot, you cannot move away from one thing without moving towards something else. And see, the good news is that this whole group of people that kind of culture um, collectively refers to as the, the new atheists, right? People like Christopher Hitchens and Richard, Richard Dawkins, um, Sam Harris, um, Stephen Hawking, and a whole bunch of others, um, the, the new atheists, they have written um, these phenomenal books. They've made phenomenal videos. They've lectured on almost every major college campus in America. And they have influenced some of the most influential YouTubers and TikTokers that the world has ever seen and that are influencers 
um, major influences in our world today. The good news is that collectively all of them have given us a very, very good case of what we should all move away from. But they have done very little to actually point out or to explain what exactly we are moving towards. And listen, I want you to understand, especially if you would consider yourself a nun, especially if you would consider um, yourself as someone who has deconverted uh, from Christianity, here's what I want you to understand. In fact, here's, here's what these people that I just mentioned, what they would want you to understand as well. Atheism is not simply a disbelief in God. Right, this is so important. Atheism is not simply saying, okay, I do not believe in God anymore. Atheism is, in fact, a complex system of beliefs that leads to some very unsettling conclusions. And, again, this is hugely important. Unsettling is not a truth test. Right? In other words, something can be unsettling and be true at the exact same time. Now, two real quick examples of this, depending on what age group you happen to be in. Nickelback and taxes. Both of these things are absolutely unsettling. This is actually a joke. Both of these are absolutely unsettling because they are both absolutely true and they are both absolutely unsettling at the very same time. Just because something is unsettling does not mean it is untrue. Now here's why that is so important. Because listen, many people, right, many people, perhaps you, right, perhaps you, many people have stepped away from religion and they have stepped away from Christianity specifically because of some of the unsettling outcomes, some of the unsettling results, the unsettling consequences of the religion that is known as Christianity. But unsettling is not a truth test. And see, listen, full disclosure here. Listen, and I'm sure this is going to be taken out of context at some level. I am not interested in you becoming a Christian. I want you to follow Jesus, because you cannot step away from one thing without stepping towards something else. And in your desire to step away from things that all of us should, in fact, step away from and that we should deconstruct, you may unknowingly be walking towards something that you were not expecting. And so you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to know what it is that you, in fact, are walking towards. And so really quick, I want to give you three beliefs that if you are currently deconstructing your faith or if you have, if you would say you have deconverted from Christianity that you are walking towards right now and you may not be aware. The first is simply this, that there is in fact no such thing as the soul and there is in fact no such thing as eternity. Now, I don't know any other way to say this, but listen, if there is no God, then there's no you. There's no you. There's no soul inside that body of yours, right? The soul is that thing. It's not your body. Um, it's not your brain. Um, it, it, sometimes we call it our heart, right? But it's not our physical our heart. In a world of nothing more than chemistry, biology, and physics, there, the soul is nothing more than an illusion. There is no room for the soul. There is no place for the soul. Now, one of the, the gentlemen that I mentioned earlier, a, a, jam, a gentleman by the name of, of Christopher Hitchens, um, died of cancer back in 2011. And um, when he realized that his cancer was terminal, he wrote a book called Mortality, which is basically his personal journal of his experience while he was dying. And in this book, he recalls and details a number of the conversations that he had with his doctors uh, as his cancer was progressing. And he talks about his doctors saying things to him like, okay, Christopher, your body is fighting, um, your body is trying, your body is reacting. 
And, and he talks about being so angry and frustrated with his doctors and saying to his doctors, finally, listen, I, listen, um, I, I do not have a body. I am a body. If there is no God, right, if there is no God, then that's true. If everything is simply chemistry, biology, and physics, then that's true. There is no Joe. They, 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 I'm just a body. You all are just bodies, right? My kids, just bodies. My wife, Autumn, just a body. There is no you. There is no me. There is just a bunch of biology, and there is no life after this life. The second is that this whole experience that we have of free will, this whole experience that we have of free will, it's nothing more than an illusion. In a world that's governed strictly by physics and the laws of physics, there is, in fact, no room for free will because everything is determined. You may have experienced the illusion of actually choosing who it is that you marry. You may have experienced the illusion of choosing the career that you have right now. But all of that was simply an illusion because in a world governed strictly by chemistry, biology, and physics, there is no room for free will. Everything is determined. Free will cannot exist in that universe. Every decision we've ever made is, in fact, a response to stimuli and nothing more. Stephen Hawking, absolutely brilliant individual who you may, knew, uh, may know who believed, in fact, that everything in this world is predetermined and that there is no such thing as free will. He noted the unsettling consequences of this belief when he made this observation. He said this. He said, I've noticed that even people who claim that everything is predestined and that we can do nothing to change it, they look before they cross the street. If there is no God, this is the logical conclusion of that belief. Third is the idea of value. The whole idea of value is nothing more than an illusion. Okay, listen, if I were to stand up here right now and grab one of these boxes and say, you know what, I have a box that's full of value right now, that box would be empty, wouldn't it? And yet every single one of us believe that value is a real thing. Not just financial value, but value in terms of people, value in terms of exercise, value in terms of, of work. Right? But again, in a world of nothing more than chemistry, biology, and physics, there is no such thing as intrinsic value. There is only ascribed value. Right? That is, in my predetermined way of viewing things, nothing is inherently valuable on its own. I just choose, because of my predetermined worldview, I just choose to value one thing over another. Now, this is a really big deal. Right? This is, I, I, it's me ascribing value to all things. This is a really big deal when it comes specifically to the subject of justice, right? Because in a world, right, in a world where there is only chemistry, biology, and physics, it means that there is no justice. Justice is just whatever I want it to be. There is no actual justice. The moment that we reach outside of our biology to try to hold other biology accountable to something that I cannot put in a box, we have just appealed to justice. But this is the problem. Justice is just an illusion. Value is just an illusion. There is no such thing with justice because without God, justice is just what I want it to be. Right? And here's the interesting thing about this. You probably have noticed this before. Maybe you even said this before, right? You have your truth and I have my truth, so here's the deal. You keep your hands off my truth, I will keep my, your, you keep your hands off my truth, I will keep my hands off your truth. That may work 
right? It may work when it comes to the subject of truth. It does not work when it comes to the subject of justice. You will never hear anyone say, you have your justice, I have my justice, I'll keep my hands off your justice, you keep your hands off of my justice. That does not work when it comes to the subject of justice. The moment that you actually extract God and we are left with nothing more than physics, biology, and chemistry value. This whole sense of ought or ought not. The idea of worth and value, all of that, right, all of that goes away. And see, this is why, right, this is why. This is why this whole idea of reconstruction is so incredibly important. It's why we cannot stop with simply deconstruction. Because without reconstruction, all of these things go away. All of, all, all of these things, the whole idea of soul, the whole idea of eternity, the whole idea of free will and value and worth. Without reconstruction, all of this goes away. And when these things go away, do you know what increases? What increases is pain. What increases is anxiety. What increases is loneliness. What increases is hopelessness. What increases is despair. And again, many people, right, perhaps even you, perhaps many of you, perhaps many of you have asked, actually walked away right from your faith in God your your this whole idea of Christianity because of some of the unsettling outcomes the unsettling results the unsettling consequences of the religion known as Christianity I understand that is this better is this increasing going to lead to human flourishing now please understand I am not arguing in any way for complacency in dealing with hypocrisy. I do not want you to become religious. I want you to follow Jesus. And my purpose today, my purpose today is to simply shine a light. Shine a light on the only other alternative, right, which may be true. It may be true. It may be true that every single decision that you've made has, in fact, been an illusion, that that wasn't really your free decision. It wasn't really your free choice. It may be true that you have no value, and neither do your kids, and neither do your grandkids. It's possible, right? It, it is possible um, that all of this is an illusion, that there is, in fact, no justice. It's possible that this thing that we keep appealing to, to make things right and to make things fair and to make sure that people are, in fact, treated properly it's prop it's possible that all of that is an illusion because there is no soul and there is no me and there is no you and there is no eternity that's possible but listen here's what i know about you you hope not you hope not right we hope not you hope that that's not all that we are Right? You, you hope, don't you hope that there's more to life than just increasing levels of pain and anxiety and loneliness and despair? Don't we hope, all of us, that we are more than just all of this? And listen, your hope, your only hope, our only hope for that hope, our only hope for that hope is Jesus. And so if you are open to this idea of reconstructing your faith, not the faith that you once had, 
but a brand new faith that is not based on what an author or an influencer or a vlogger says, but a faith which is based on what the only one who actually knows what lies on the other side of all of our fear, all of our anxiety, all of our despair, what that person says. When reconstructing our faith, Jesus is the place to start because, listen, Although all through history, right, all through history, plenty of people have claimed to have the best explanation of God. Only Jesus, only Jesus actually claimed to be the best explanation of God. And that claim is what got him in trouble with the religious leaders of his day. Because think about it, I mean, this is an extraordinarily arrogant thing to say. Unless it's true. And the gospel writer John, right, the apostle John, John who was in fact an eyewitness to everything Jesus, the apostle John who you may know was exiled and left to die on an island called Patmos by the Roman emperor Domitian. But what you may not know is the reason he was exiled is because when the Roman emperor Domitian had tried to have John killed by boiling him in a vat of oil, John survived. And so the Roman emperor Domitian decided to exile him and just leave him to rot because every time he tried to have one of the close followers of Jesus martyred, it just resulted in a thousand more followers of Jesus. And so John, who had seen and experienced tragedy and chaos and bloodshed and hurt on a level that all of us put together will never experience in our lives, chaos and tragedy in a, in a way that we can't even begin to experience. John was actually there that night when Jesus said to a room full of his closest followers, listen, anyone, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to know what God says, just listen to me. You want to know what God is like? Just look at me. You want to know how God would respond in that situation? Just watch me. Do you want to know how God feels about people? Do you want to know how he feels about this world? Do you want to know how he feels about heartbreak and tragedy? Just listen. Just watch. Just pay attention to me. If you want to know what God is up to, Jesus said, then just look to me. Because listen, the words I say, right, the words I say, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, everything I do is the Father. Everything I say is the Father. Every way that I respond to people, that is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And then Jesus says something that is absolutely extraordinary, and I do not want you to miss this. And you may have heard this before, maybe you haven't. He says this. He says, believe me, right? Believe me when I say to you that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And it's like, okay, Jesus, time out a second. Listen. This is crazy man talk. I mean, who actually says something like this? To which Jesus must have been thinking, you know what, I, I understand. I get it. I know that what I'm asking is a lot. I know that what I'm asking for is a lot. I get it. I understand that. Because Jesus says, or, or if you cannot believe what I'm saying to you right now, because I'm the one saying it to you right now, then I want you to, or, look at the evidence. At least believe based on the evidence. Jesus is not asking you to have faith in faith. Jesus is not asking you to have belief in belief. 
right? Jesus is saying, listen, other people may ask you for that. Religion may ask you for that. Jesus never asks anyone for that. Jesus is clear. I want you to watch me. And then I want you to come to your own conclusion based on the evidence of, don't miss this, of the works. Not my works, not your works, the evidence of his works. Come to a conclusion based on the evidence of Jesus' works themselves. And so today, today, as we wrap up this series together, my hope is that if you would say that you are someone who has deconverted from Christianity or you're deconstructing, you're in the process of deconstructing your faith, um, my hope is that actually today, even though we're ending this series, would actually be the beginning of a new path, uh, the, the beginning of you reconstructing your faith. And so I want to leave you with kind of the first next step. Um, if you're willing to, to say, okay, um, I, I'm actually open. I'm actually open to hearing more about this. Um, so, so I want to leave you with a question that if that's you, if you would be open to asking, um, I want you to just ask this simple question. What is it that Jesus actually told us about God? Right, in other words, if we we're going to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of all the pictures of God, all the images of God, everything I was told about God from my childhood, I'm going to walk away from all of that. And Jesus, I'm going to give you a shot. What is it, Jesus, that you actually want us to know about God. Jesus, what would you tell me about God? What is God really like? Jesus says this, God is spirit. Now, when Jesus makes this phenomenal statement, he is in the midst of a conversation with a woman. And history doesn't record her name for us. We simply know her as the woman at the well. And as he is in this conversation with this woman, he is displaying extraordinary levels of care, extraordinary levels of compassion, extraordinary levels of dignity to a woman, do not miss this, that the entire rest of the world said was not worth any of those things. Jesus, the very person who says, listen, you want to know what God is like? Watch me. You want to know how God would talk to people? Watch me. You want to know how God interacts, how he feels about people, all people? Then just look to me. Jesus is having this incredible conversation with this woman. And he says to her, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in the spirit. And in truth. Now, let me tell you why this is such an amazing statement from 2,000 years ago. Because this statement that Jesus made flew in the face of all the religions of the Roman Empire. Because all of them had idols. And all of them had temples dedicated to those idols. And everybody had household idols. And every time you went from one place to another, you actually took your idols with you. But Jesus comes along and he says to a woman who isn't even Jewish, he says, let me tell you about God. God is spirit. And here's why this is so amazing. This is exactly what us modern 21st century people would have to believe about God. This is exactly what we would someone to say, expect to say about God. Because followers of Jesus have always believed that there is, at some point, there, was, there is a necessary being. That there is a first cause. That there is an uncreated creator. Because at some point in the past, everything that currently exists did not exist. And everyone knows that matter cannot come from no matter. 
So regardless of what the nature of this first cause is, what we know is that it must be timeless, it must be spaceless, and it must be above and beyond what is natural. It must be, by definition, supernatural. And so when Jesus comes along and he has this conversation with this first century woman, he condenses all of that down and he says, when you think about God, I just want you to understand this is what God is. God is spirit. It is exactly what us modern people would have to conclude about a first cause, about an uncreated creator. But see, the problem with spirit, and, and you know this, spirit is spirit, right? It's, it's ethereal. Um, it's just kind of out there. It's, it's impersonable. And so Jesus, he doesn't stop here. And he says, God is Father. Not the reflection of Father. No, God is the perfection of Father. One day Jesus is praying and his disciples see that Jesus is, is across the way and that he's praying. And they're watching Jesus as he prays and they start a conversation amongst each other. And they're like, okay, um, when Jesus prays, it's not like what, how we pray. Like something is going on that we are not experiencing. Like I think we're doing this wrong. And so the disciples grab Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, well, when you pray, say, Father. Whenever you think about God, Jesus says, the best picture, the best relational picture is Father. I just want you to think, every time you think about God, Jesus says, I want you to think, perfect, heavenly Father. And then after the resurrection... After Jesus goes back up into, the, into heaven for the final time, um, the gospel writer John is once again writing a, another letter, a different letter to another group of followers of Jesus. And he's thinking about and he's looking back on, he's reflecting on his life and he's reflecting on everything that Jesus taught him about God. And John makes a statement. It is an incredible statement. It's a statement that has been imprinted not just simply on us as followers of Jesus. It is a statement that has been imprinted on the collective consciousness of our culture. So much so that most people in our world today would say that this is true even though they have no idea where this idea actually originated from. God is spirit. God is father. And God is is love. Now here's why this statement is so absolutely amazing. This is what we miss about this. John's view of God, John's faith in God, it was constructed and then it was deconstructed and then it was reconstructed. And John's view and his faith in God was constructed as a Jewish boy and as a Jewish man. And John believed what every first century Jewish person believed, which is that God loved the Jewish people and God does not love anybody else. That's what Jewish people believed in the first century. God maybe tolerates everybody else, but no, God does not love anybody but us. And the the reason why, the reason why this idea of, of God, this view of God was deconstructed is because Jesus himself is the one who deconstructed John's view of God. And then Jesus reconstructed it. 
And that's why John, who lost friends as martyrs, who witnessed unspeakable levels of bloodshed and chaos and violence, it's why and a tremendous, a tremendous lack of love to himself, his family, his community, and even his country. It's why the gospel writer John, the apostle John, it's the reason he's able to write this and believe this is he's able to say, okay, God is love because of what Jesus taught me about God. And not only that, whoever lives in love lives in God. And God lives in them. And again, the reason John believed this, the reason John wrote this is because John was with Jesus during Jesus' last night on earth, when Jesus said to his disciples, listen, no matter what happens next, no matter what you see happening to me, I, I just want you to understand, here's what I do not want you to ever forget. In fact, this is going to be the distinguishing mark. It it'll be the distinguishing mark of anybody who comes after me and who wants to follow me. Not what you know, not what you memorize, not what it is that you do on Sunday morning. The distinguishing mark of anyone who claims to be my follower, Jesus says, is that they will love one another. Why? Because that love for other people reflected the nature of God. But again, right, for us smart, modern people, Right? We should not be surprised to, dis to discover this. Right? We should not be surprised um, for, for John to say this about Jesus because actually um, you know this. You know this. You know that an eclipse, right? an eclipse, it always requires the sun. You can have the sun all day long without an eclipse, but you cannot have an eclipse without the sun. You, you cannot have an eclipse if you do not have the sun. The sun, the, an eclipse actually requires the sun just like evil requires good. Goodness must necessarily pre-exist evil, which means, right, this is awesome. This is incredible. We should not be surprised that this whole idea that God is love is intuitive because love must necessarily pre-exist unlove. You cannot have unlove first. You cannot have an eclipse if there is no sun. Love must pre-exist unlove. And John the gospel writer John, the apostle John, who witnessed and experienced extraordinary levels of violence, comes to the conclusion that God is love. This is why God cannot be evil. This is how we know the Roman gods, the Greek gods, all the gods that toy with humanity. This is how we know that they are not and they were not God. It's how we know that everything that prevents humanity from flourishing, all humanity from flourishing, this is how we know it cannot be good and it cannot be from God. Because good must, good must pre-exist evil. God cannot be evil. And see, just as us modern people should not be surprised to discover that in essence God is spirit. In the very same way, we should never be surprised to discover that in essence God is love. The reason that you recognize evil and the reason you recognize injustice is because you know good and because you know justice. Whenever you appeal to good, you, you didn't realize this, but whenever you appeal to good, whenever you appeal to justice, whenever you appeal to love, you didn't realize you were doing this on purpose, but you are in fact declaring the essence and the existence of God.
When a person seeks the shade, when a person says, listen, I have to get out of the sun. The sun is too hot today. The sun is too bright today. The sun is too powerful today. They are declaring the essence and the glory and the majesty of the sun. Every time we seek good, every time we seek justice, every time we seek right, every time we seek love, we are declaring the glory and the essence and the existence of God. And if at any point in your life you have ever said or you have ever thought to yourself, okay, I just don't know about the whole Jesus thing. I don't know that I believe the whole Bible. All I know, all I know is this. Here's, here's what I know. If, you have to, if you're going to pin me down, the only thing I can say is this. I believe that God loves everybody. Do not miss this. This is an extremely Jesus-centric idea. This is an exclusively Jesus-centric idea. Before Jesus, nobody ever said the essence of God is love. People said the essence of the gods were a whole lot of things, but love was not one of them. Love must have pre-existed everything less than love. Again, you know this. In our own behavior, in our own relationships, why is it that we excuse what we do that is any time that is less than love, when our behavior is less than love with anyone, why do we always say, well, listen, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. How do you know what perfect is, John would say? Who told you that? John says, listen, I know. I know where you got that idea from. Because perfect love, perfect love preceded all of us. God is love. And see, this is why. This is why I want you so badly to reconsider your faith because you may have left your faith in God unnecessarily. And listen, if you did, that's my fault. That's the church's fault. But do not use that. Do not use us. Do not use that as an excuse to miss God. The God who says, I'm spirit. I am behind everything that has ever existed. But I'm not far away. In fact, I'm close right now. In fact, you can just approach me anytime you want, the way you would approach a father. Just, just think of me as a perfect. Think of me as a perfect father. The God who says, listen, regardless of the evil in this world, regardless of the evil and the brokenness and the tragedy that you experience in this world, regardless of the evil that now feels so much closer because of, of the tragedy in Oxford, God, the God who says, listen, um, that evil in this world, even the evil that you experience in this world, that is not me because I am the sunshine. I am the light of the world. I am love. And if ever there was a weekend that we were reminded that God is love, it's right here. Deconstruct any idea that tells you that God loves one group of people more than another. Deconstruct any idea that tells you that God requires you to do something to earn his forgiveness. Deconstruct any idea that tells you that somehow God is the author or the originator of evil. 
when it comes to God, Jesus, Jesus is our best source. Jesus is our most reliable source. And Jesus is the place to start. And I'll tell you again, I do have an agenda. I want you to come back. I want you to come back because there's so much at stake. And you have a God, you have a heavenly father who loves you. And I want you to know, I want you to know because I'm your pastor and I love you. And your heavenly father loves you. And he wants to welcome you Heavenly Father, this is, this is such, a, such a big topic for so many of us, Father. And, and the challenge is for some of us, um, we're not asking these questions right now. We're not, um, if we're honest, some of us don't even think this subject is even all that interesting right now. And yet for all of us, for all of us, especially today, what we all have in common is that we all know there's hurt in this world. All of us see injustice in this world. All of us see what's wrong with this world, the things that are just evil in this world. And the truth is, Father, our ability to see that and feel that and experience that is actually the result of you. It's, it's why Christmas matters. Because in Christmas, you remind us that you do actually see what we see. That you do, in fact, feel what we feel. That you are aware and that you do care. And that evil will not. And that it has not won. And so, Jesus, my prayer for every single person who's here with us today, who's watching and listening today, I pray... For everyone who, who wants to come back, they, they truly do. They want to come back to you, Jesus. They, they miss their faith. They miss the relationship that they had with you. Holy Spirit, my prayer is that in this moment, that you would actually speak to them, that you would tell them how much they are loved. And Jesus, I pray that they would hear you in this moment saying to them, follow me follow me. good news of the gospel is that your heavenly father is never the source of evil that your heavenly father is never far he is always close he always welcomes you back that he pursues you he loves you and that he has done everything 
to make a relationship possible with everyone, with every single one of us. There is nothing that you can do or have done that will separate you from the love that your Heavenly Father has for you because Jesus, He has forgiven you and me of our sin. And so your sin, it is truly forgiven in Jesus' name.